Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast, the only podcast on the internet. That's it. We got rid of all the other ones. All that's left is the good stuff. Waxing nostalgic about SmackDown between 2002 and 2004, a time when wrestling as an in-ring product was kind of the most important thing in the show. But also, it was a time when I was living and breathing wrestling as a young teenager caring about almost exclusively wrestling. And the person saying this is your host, Matt Vaughn. And each week on the podcast, I get to have a guest co-host with me. And uh, sometimes what I do is I go through YouTube and I look for people who are doing interesting things in the medium, uh, particularly in the, in the board game section of it. And I dug out this guy, first time meeting him, excited to have him on. Uh, your friend of mine, Daniel Petapa. How are you doing, Daniel? What's up, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I love how you keep uh, plugging my YouTube, man, but like... I don't, I don't know if it's the shining light in my life right now. I mean, I'm just kind of meandering in, like, small YouTube space. But it's good. It's good. We make it work. That's good. What else? Was, I, I'm, I, can't, I can't promote uh, the time that you and I went to Dairy Queen in 2008. I'd love to, but I can't, right? Like, <laughs> right. Just, just recurring visits to Wendy's. And, yes, uh, exactly. Date, just, and dating escapades and, you know, wit- witnessing the rise yes. and fall of our mutual love lives. Oh, I love it. Most of, not mutual, mutual, exclusive. We said our love lives, so it's not like we shared a one life, one life together. Although in some ways they intermingled uh, in interesting ways. Uh, I will say, okay, without <laughs> I, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna share the story with absolutely zero names. I believe there's a time where you and I fantasized about you being in a Hell in a Cell match with someone, but it was it yes. a tag team match? And we ha- we gave this guy who may or may not have, quote-unquote, maybe kind of sort of stolen a girl you were interested in. I say stolen yes. in quotes because you can't steal women. Unless you kidnapping you obviously can, but that's not how it works with women having agency and things like that. And we acknowledge that, especially in 2022 when this podcast comes out. Uh, but he had a tag team partner. We just, like, gave him a, a mutual friend of ours. Essentially, we're like, we're also going to beat his ass in a cage, was the idea. Yeah, we, we, we were basically like, oh, let's give him the scrawniest, skinniest guy that we can think of uh, as his partner. And then we'll come with all the brawn, and then uh, our, 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 all, all of our, all of us had the same priest friend, and he was the referee. That's right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Of course. Because no, no matches. Hell in a Cell with a special guest priest referee is actually something they haven't done, and I think it may be a good idea. It's a missed opportunity for sure. And and then Absolutely. again, they could, they they could bring Backlash God back from 2006. Since, right. Uh, exactly. Yes. A, <laughs> As a run-in or whatever. That's great. Because what we're covering here in the SmackDown 6 podcast is an era, a time of wrestling that I paid a lot of attention. And after the podcast ends, it's when I start to really drop down an interest so, or, or, or uh, you know, even knowledge about things. So, like, I know. I right, exactly. So, the stuff like, oh, Shawn Michaels partnered with God at Backlash. That's the kind of thing that when I wasn't watching wrestling and I saw that, I was like, that's dumb. Wrestling used to be better. I should make a podcast about that someday. Uh, even though, but now I'm kind of picking up little things here and there and coming to understand these things, uh, whether I like them or not. And someday, you know, maybe after the podcast ends, I'll I'll keep watching and finally figure out what people are talking about and find out who this Randy Orton guy is, for instance. For instance. No idea. <laughs> what if, Do you hear voices this podcast in your head, Matt? Uh, no, but I vipers are often my dreams. So that, that's okay. a I should have on this podcast just pretended I didn't know who Triple H was. That could have made a big difference there. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you, I mean, you don't have to know who he is. That's for sure. Not for this podcast. Well, Daniel, they say you, they say you can't go home again, but we're going home. We're this is the go home show for Vengeance that we're talking about today. Vengeance 2003. Wow. So uh, what did it's you the say? July 24th. This is like a how many week run lead up into this 
this is this is the tenth SmackDown without a pay per view in between. We we, we went from uh, right after Judgment Day to now. It's been ten SmackDowns. A lot has happened. Rings have collapsed. Uh, there's been men, multiple men handicap matches for the last few weeks. Uh, Sable was given to Stephanie as an assistant, and then immediately was never an assistant to her. Um, there was uh, Zach Gowen was I don't know he came before <laughs> I think he he came before Judgment Day because he was around. Um, he was definitely never getting a contract, and then one week they were like, maybe we will, and they just did. It was the whole thing. So we've we have been through some times, but at no point in the last ten weeks have we had a pay per view where we're, we're marking big things, we're putting big matches together. We've just been building and building and building and building, including here on the July twenty fourth, two thousand three episode of SmackDown. We're gonna talk about it today. You think the matches they were promoting will be a little bit more significant, or <laughs> but anyway, that's fine. Oh, okay, Daniel. Hey, okay, so. Something I want to say right off the top here. Uh, this episode of SmackDown is an hour and 22 minutes. Uh, and Daniel earlier today messaged me and was like, hey, okay, like you will often tell us when thing content is cut, what exciting stuff is missing from the show. And uh, and so I will tell you when the time comes up. But the running down of the pay-per-view is significant in its absence. And there's a reason why. Okay. Uh, it's a dumb reason. But, well, the, yeah, it's one, of those, it's one of those things where, where if you were like us and you're watching the WWE Network – Things will happen and won't make sense. In wrestling, there's a lot of things that happen that don't make sense. Uh, but this is one where you go, I feel like this is supposed to make sense. <laughs> this would be very easy for it to make sense. Uh, and so instead we get this. Uh, so yeah, this episode uh, taped July 22nd, 2003 from the Selland Arena in Fresno, California. Site of the Royal Rumble 1996. Shawn Michaels had some success there. Hey, yeah, I he did. Peace, Daniel. <laughs> Got a 3.4 <laughs> rating uh, on TV. Did it beat Raw this week? It did not. Um... And maybe it's obvious why not. But you know what? Let's talk about last week's episode of SmackDown so you can get uh, situated here. I want you to know kind of what we're getting into, where we're coming from. Uh, and so last week's episode, John Cena wrapped from a graveyard. Um, Stephanie and Sable, uh, they fought in a skybox. Brock Lesnar got sent home early. And Kurt Angle won an extra unfair handicap match thanks to Zach Gowan's involvement. Kind of. Uh, and so let's talk about what happened uh, for the people before SmackDown was taped in Fresno, California. Let's start with some dark matches. Uh, and so first off, I remember, Daniel, I think when we talked a few weeks ago, I mentioned there's a guy named Solo who would go on to be Deuce of Deuce and Domino. He was on a dark match. That might sound familiar to you. He okay, might have he approached does, he does. Vaguely. Yeah, for sure. He wrestled a dark match. He beat a guy named Tony Kazina, whoever that is. Don't know. Great. Tony Kazina. Bright future. Bright future in that kid. Mm-hmm. Also a dark match. Ultimo Dragon bested Sean Evans. And once again, I feel compelled to tell you. This is not Sean Evans from Hot Ones. This is the deceased wrestler, Sean Evans. This is not a bald guy with a hoodie in the ring trying to hit the bomb, which would be a finisher. They're probably a cross-faced chicken wing, maybe, with maybe like a little <laughs> bit of – he's trying to cheat. You put a little bit of hot sauce on the finger and kind of slip it in the mouth there and make him tap out more. Oh, my gosh. The last dab. Oh, sorry. Obviously, his finisher would be the last dab. It would be amazing. Oh. That's such a great – that's actually a really good game for a finisher. Yeah, that is. That is. You, you, you would signal it by dabbing. Yes, you do. Yeah, you dab and then you ask them uh, what about pictures on their Instagram channel. Okay, let's talk about Velocity, uh, the show you would have seen uh, on the Saturday night before the pay-per-view. Very exciting thing. Uh, Orlando Jordan hit okay. his finisher on Nuncio. He got the one, two, three, and his finisher has a name now. It's called Black Ice, and oh, I wonder why it's called Black yeah. Ice specifically. <laughs> because he's black. They need you to know that. You wouldn't know it if they didn't tell you all the time. Right. Like, this right. gentleman is from, of, 
has African let's, ancestry. Let's continue to make distinctions. Let's just pile on the distinctions. Yeah. We have to do it. You're, exactly. You're different from me. You have to keep telling me you're different. Uh, so that move specifically is when you kind of get a guy on a rock bottom, but instead of like lifting them up and slamming them down, you jump up in the air and you sit down. So you're kind of giving them like a stunner sort of thing. One of those finishers you look at and you go, you would never main event WrestleMania with that finisher. Oh, yeah. It's That's interesting. Happen. Not going to happen. Uh, another match. Canyon hit the flatliner on Sakota, who would later go on to be a guy in this area here, Sakota. Um, and uh, he only recently died, which is too bad. Sakota died, I believe, in uh, this past September, which is a bummer. It, was, okay. it, was, it wasn't that old. No. Uh, also, um, a flatliner, you may remember, maybe you don't. Is when you grab a guy and you kind of you grab him like by the arm and then drop backwards. Some people have given people grief because the flatliner uh, also has a downward spiral. Uh, kind of looks like you're giving yourself a rock bottom because you do you grab you kind of put your arm <laughs> stuff underneath and you kind of fall backwards. And it makes more when you watch it visually it kind of makes, makes more sense because it looks like you're driving the guy down. But right. um, yeah, if you put somebody in a match, flatliner versus rock bottom, it might the finish might be you just hit it and then both guys kind of fall over and maybe they count to ten and that's it. I don't know. Right, that that'd be it. That, that's a logical conclusion to that match for sure. Book it, book it. Book it. Also strange because the first two matches both ended with finishers starting the rock bottom position. Random okay. trivia for you folks, but that's something that happened. <laughs> there you go. Um, usually Velocity has four matches. Sorry, Dan, you're gonna ask me a question. Well, Matt, Matt Claire, just jump back a second. So Ultimate uh, Dragon de- debuted already mm-hmm. on SmackDown. Yeah, what do you what do you what do you get that day? The fact that he's on dark matches again. <laughs> yeah, what, what what is happening? I what, think he's. I think it's a Styles Clash. I think, I think he he like every time I see him wrestle, it's a little bit he like it's always a little clash? bit awkward. Oh, that's a problem. No, I wish. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean, though, right? You understand what? Yes. Understand yes, the words that come out of my mouth? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah, but so it's yeah, it is too bad. Although it's funny too, it's a dark match, so it's like he needs more seasoning, but he's going against indie guys, so that's not really helping. Right, it's not helping him at all. Like th- this is where yeah, no. like you hear these kind of uh, rejuvenation stories of them sending people down to OBW, like Mark Henry and Big Show, and like these guys kind of needed a little bit of a break from the main stage. You'd think that they would like do that if they were like not sure yeah. about well, a guy. It's interesting. Like, I think they're sure. I mean, I, 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 I imagine they're probably just looking and going like, this is going to be work out. This is going to be closer uh, in terms of styles working together than it actually is, which I think is, is the issue is they still working kind of a, more of a obviously no more, more luchador. And it's more kind of uh, Japanese. I think it's probably more lucha style. And so anyway, it remains to be seen whether or not we'll see a match where we're like, OK, that's flowing. He's doing good. I mean, he's doing like he was on uh, SmackDown, I think, last week. And there was a really nice site mood salt that he did. It was nice. Um. So, I don't know. Well, we're going to keep on the Ultimate Dragon watch. Um, also, so yeah, okay, the last match of SmackDown, uh, or sorry, Velocity. Uh, there's only three matches, not four. Usually there's four. Uh, the Basher brothers hit the balling gag on Funaki to beat him and Spanky. Um, and uh, the balling gag is... It's weird that Spanky really isn't uh, in the Basher brothers. Uh, it feels like an obvious fit. It's such a good point. Um at least you have a name versus not the name match, so they can pin him and take his name. He can, one of them could be Spanky. Um, the issue, so okay, the finisher ball and gag has a weird name, but it's just a Russian leg sweep and clothesline combo. So Daniel, if you and I did it, like you would get a guy in a Russian leg sweep, and I would just go up and clothesline him, and you'd fall backwards. And it just—it's right. one of those things that it should—it shouldn't beat people, because like both those moves together are like you wouldn't even cover a guy if you hit a Russian leg sweep <laughs> or like a clothesline, 
And together, you're kind of like, well, that's almost like, I don't know, that's like a maybe side effect damage sort of thing. It's not the kind of thing where you're like, oh, man, count to 10. You can pin him for a 10 count. He'd be out. <laughs> right, count. Well, that, that, that's the thing, though, right? You're in a world where a, a leg drop is a finishing move, right? So... <laughs> well, coming from the most talented leg-having guy in the world. <laughs> right, he has, uh... he has the best leg, obviously. <laughs> well, absolutely. That's, that's the thing with finishing Have you seen that ham hock? <laughs> right. It it seems to depend on who does it. You know, if one person does um, a super kick, it's fine. You get two count. You know, Shawn Michaels does it. It's a little more significant, you know? Yeah. I would say the super kicks are a little bit – they're almost like in here, they're almost always treated like finishers, even though they're, it's, it is, like you say, not as powerful as Shawn Michaels' sweet chain music. So, the other super thing I will say – into being just yeah, like and now, now in 2022, it's like a yeah, super kick, yeah, yeah, which is too bad. It's a bummer. Uh, but uh, I would say, you know, I, I, I will say Hulk Hogan's gone from SmackDown now. Now we can be like, yeah, it was a stupid move, leg drop that would never work. It's dumb. What a dumb thing. Hate that guy. He's not around anymore. You can totally dump on him. And be like, that's the old school way. I'm glad he's gone. And especially now, you, you'd be like, well, he's also racist. So you, there's all sorts of moves you can do here. There's all sorts of ways you can go about it. Although they've been slowly That's integrating right. him back into the fabric of the company. So. Just trotting him out and being like, remember Hulkamania? It was great. Remember the 80s? You don't remember the 80s? Okay. Ask your dad. Ask your mom. Hulkamania <laughs> was real. It ran wild. We all had acute cases of Hulkamania. And we all said our prayers um, and ate our vitamins. It was awesome. That's right. And if you didn't get better, you would sometimes um, have some bouts of macho madness. And that was also okay. That was also okay. I still, I, what was not I still okay was, was sucking the cosmos into your brain pan, like the Ultimate Warrior, and just yes. going on a total trip. That's right. Hulk Hogan. Yeah, that's just, that was <laughs> never... Oh, hey, cockpit. Hey, you get ejected from the cockpit. <laughs> okay. That's nice. Oh, man. Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior. That'd be good, too. Bring him back. Uh, uh, Combine uh, uh, them. Ultimate Warrior. Okay. Ultimate Warrior. So, Dan, let's get into this episode of SmackDown for this week. We let's know what the people of Fresno saw before. Let's get into it. Uh, they're, I, they're, yeah, they're in the Cellander. I don't know what the Cellend is. I'm probably named after somebody. Uh, I'm surprised it's not called, like, the... Uh, um, like the uh, the bubbly arena or something like that. That would make sense to me. Uh, that would be appropriate. <laughs> That's right. One day. Uh, but one day it will be called that for sure. If only. Uh, and so, yeah, we begin SmackDown with a video package running down the 3 one handicap match that Kurt Angle was in last week against Big Show and the world's greatest tag team. That is the new name for the now Kurt Angle-less Team Angle. Mm-hmm. And Brock, Brock Lesnar was forced to leave the building earlier in the night. And Zach Gowan came out and helped, finger quotes, uh, right. and or air quotes. And, and ultimately, Kurt Angle came out on top. And they, they even show the great ending where Kurt Angle catches a super kick, hits a, throws Chump uh, Benjamin, so he does the dragon whip kick into Charlie Haas, and then it gets the ankle lock on him, and it's great. It was a great ending. Kurt Angle looking strong two weeks before the pay-per-view, where he's going out for the title. And uh, from there, we have the I Want It All intro video. Nice. Well, I'm watching this footage of Zach Gowan, and I had this moment of yes. clarity of like, Ooh. oh, he would have had more longevity if he had either done a front flip or a moonsault off the top rope instead of just a basic crossbody. I know he has one leg, 
so I don't want to be too incredulous here. But it looked like almost cool, and I was just like, oh, okay. Like if if he had done like a front flip, senton type thing, it would have been like sweet. But it was just yeah. There's like, a time. Uh, uh. He shows up later on the show, and I had a thought where I was like, along the same lines, where I was like, you know, his stuff is impressive because of his disability, but not despite of it. Like, not like, right. oh, wow, like, even if, even if he had two legs, I would believe that was a thing. Like, you, you, it's it's a little bit too like, oh, wow, it's cool that he can do that, even though he, you know, he's living with one arm, one, one leg. Uh, and I think that's an issue where there's there, – because, I mean, even, there's a whole thing in the show where Vince is like, I don't have sympathy for you, Zach Gow. And, and the, the show is kind of like, I have sympathy for him, and it's like – Sympathy works for wrestlers, but if you only have sympathy, you don't have anything like we we like want you to do. Otherwise, you're you're pushing Spike Dudley, uh, and we're like, well, he's not that good. And you're kind of like, yeah, but don't you feel bad for him? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. Somewhere <laughs> I, I want my guy, like especially especially the post attitude era, where you're like, well, babyface must be badasses. It's a real throwback character to be like, he's just, oh, look at him go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at him giving the good old college try. Ah, good for him. Pat him on the back. Uh, and so Pyro explodes around the SmackDown fist, and we're live to tape in Fresno, California. Michael Cole says, "We are." I'm going to quote Michael Cole exactly here. Now you Please could do. you could report this in a court of law. He says, "We are just 72 hours away, three days from SmackDown presents Vengeance." As if the name of the paper was called SmackDown presents Vengeance. Uh, I don't know if he misspoke. This is one of those things where they can go back and change it. But he says, three days from SmackDown Presents Vengeance. And it makes no sense. It's totally, it's totally weird. I'm going to quote Michael Cole a few other times tonight. There's one time where I think he says the weight of a wrestler wrong. I think he gets it wrong by 500 pounds. And I'm excited to send it to that point. <laughs> which is good. Uh, and we have... Dan, I'm excited about this because the first thing that happens is Stephanie McMahon comes out. She's smiling slightly. I was so and happy. Michael... I love seeing yeah. Stephanie. I love seeing Stephanie so much. Absolutely. I'm sure 2003 Matt would have been very happy with the segment. Uh, at least, <laughs> yeah, the initial part of it here. And Michael Cole tells us something very interesting here. And this is something that, yeah, it, it comes up a lot in this show. Michael Cole says Stephanie's had a very bad week. It's like, oh, that's weird. Why is she having a very bad week? I mean, we know what happened last week on the show. She got in a fight with, Steph- with Sable, which kind of came out on top. Um, but, but it's because apparently, uh, Kane pile drove Linda McMahon on raw this week. Right. And that's all they tell you about it. So it's like, yeah, why? they never show it. And they don't, yeah, they don't. It comes footage. up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I would guess possibly at this time they're trying to do like, because they're having even separate pay-per-views, they might be being really fastidious about the brands, but they're like, you're not even showing stuff in the other show. Like if you come, if you're tuning to SmackDown, you're gonna see blue and green with velocity. You're not gonna see any raw whatsoever. We will talk about it. And so it's strange because it's rare doing this show when the sh- you, there's information you get that happened on Raw that impacts the show tonight, but you don't see it and you don't really even hear that much about it. And you, and then I have to go through and I go, I go on YouTube and I go, Kane, pile drive, Linda McMahon. And uh, it's it kind of in the midst of Kane with his un, he's unmasked and he's these guys who are all these guys in chains and then he picks up Linda McMahon and pile drives her uh, in a tombstone on the set of uh, Raw. Now tombstone, of course, you can do it insanely safely. So Linda actually has her head like 18 inches off the steel, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so yeah. she falls down. 
but uh, it was strange. I mean, I remember even back in uh, back in June, and this might have been because maybe there was like a song they couldn't use. They didn't even plug Bad Blood 2003. I had to look up after the fact. I was like, oh, Bad Blood happened <laughs> during these run of shows, and we didn't even talk about it. I thought for sure it would come up, but I'm like, I'll be able to watch that kind of familiarize myself with what's going on in Raw at the time. It didn't happen. It's like, okay. But the, but they plugged it afterwards, right? Stephanie said, like, Raw yeah. just had a really successful pay-per-view, and we're going to do one, too. Yeah, that's what I was like. Oh, did they? Okay, <laughs> that's good. Sure. Um, so Stephanie is in the ring, and she says that uh, because her father is with her mother, where he should be, she's taking back SmackDown this week. Vince has come out, and he's, done, he's run roughshod over these sorts of things. Uh, I would love to know why Stephanie thinks her her dad is with her mom. Uh, we'll get into why. That's a questionable thing. But uh, her dad is not with her mom, even though she's saying it here. Right. She, so, she she is unaware of her father's goings and comings. Pun apparently. Not intended, but we'll keep it. We'll keep it. We're going we're gonna to move on, but I'm glad you said it because that fits. <laughs> uh, Stephanie says something that they said before. SmackDown is a show for comp- competitive natures. And she says time for competition. Tonight's main event is a six-man tag match. It's the world's greatest tag team in Big Show going up against Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, and Zach Gowan. Uh, and I, I'm hearing her say this. I'm like, is this supposed to be fair? We got Zach Gowan in there. This is still a handicap match. And I'm not making reference to his disability. I'm just saying, like, you have two good wrestlers in there and a guy who doesn't really wrestle. And they're supposed to be like, oh, it's fair. And it's like, great. Okay. It's fair. Um, it's fair for it's, Zach Gowan. It's, it's not fair for Brock and Angle, right? And this was something that I was yeah, exactly as well. Right. It was just, like, backstage-wise and, like, so, like, People, the writing staff is there, Vince McMahon is there, the wrestlers are there. They're coming up with these angles and things, and they're like, okay, if you're Brock Lesnar or Kurt Angle, are you kind of pissed off that Zach Gowan getting worked into your thing, but you're just like not going to say anything because that would be rude? Are you pissed off and you're saying stuff backstage? <laughs> kind of like trying to get things like moved along or are you okay right. with this is it like is it like a moment because you're face characters you're like oh this is this this makes us look more face this is good for us right now yeah i mean uh very good question uh i, I guess it's also i've the question i've asked a lot was like so when did they give up on him like i know that he i think it's a little bit of an injury later on um, but it's very unclear uh, what where what this is coming from, and uh, and and yeah, I mean I I mean they act like they're really excited about having him there and they care a lot about him. I guess I mean wrestling yeah, is yeah yeah wrestling is acting. I mean we don't talk about it a lot, um, but I remember, I remember seeing I think um, I think Michael Cole was on the Pat McAfee show recently. They, they obviously do SmackDown together, and yeah, uh, Michael Cole was addressing how some people yeah. One of the things he said, people were like, oh, man, how come you don't like do how come you don't go off script more? And something and I, and I I'll be honest with you, made me respect Michael Cole more. Michael Cole was like, guys, I'm an actor and I've been acting for 20 plus years doing this. Like I'm reading my lines like <laughs> I know you think that there's like this room for me to like do stuff but, like I, I have a really good job and I just do my lines and I get paid a lot and I just keep doing it. And I'm good at it. And it's like. Uh, hard to argue with that. I mean, I know that we wanted to see more, off, and I, you know, I don't have to necessarily like the style and stuff, but like I can't, I'm not going to disrespect it for not for being like, yeah, I don't know, I, just, I get paid well to do this, and I'm doing it exactly the way they want me to, and 
um, this must be some measure of success because I'm on a show that gets two million views viewers a week. So it's like, yeah, sure. So um, yeah, I, I yeah, think I mean, I have to give credit for that at least. I've had a lot of longevity in this business, and people ask me why, because I do what I'm told. Right. I was like, it's almost like it's it's almost like a place of work. It's like a business or something, so weirdly. Because of that, because of that interview, I started watching uh, from SummerSlam, and I'm going to start watching on SummerSlam this year and onwards. And um, yeah, I'm really liking the Pat McAfee and uh, what's his face that we're talking about? Michael Cole. I just Michael Cole. My mind just went totally blank. Michael Cole, Pat. Like the dynamic. It reminds me of what we're listening to right now of Michael Cole and Taz. It reminds me of that, and it's really nice. It's 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 a sweet spot, I think. I don't think yeah. Michael Cole does great with two people, but with one other person uh, who has like quite a bit of like fun energy. It's a great combo, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I you know I I I I, I Pat McAfee is a guilty pleasure of mine. You know, I think he's one of these guys who I'm just like. Uh, someone could tell me that they think he's too broy, and I'd be like, I have to agree with you. He's, he is too broy, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, but I kind of like it. I don't know. He's just, I, I, I don't mind it. I think that that energy is helping Michael Cole a lot, especially because I think there's a certain extent to where Pat McAfee's like, you could fire me, but like, that, that's fine. Like, whatever. I'll be happy that I did all that I did. So I'm going to be comfortable and loose and do all this stuff, and Michael Cole gets to play off of a guy who's being super loose. Uh, yeah. And there's definitely times where Taz is being very loose in the show, too. Yeah, but I don't think it's something that has to be a guilty pleasure for you. I think, I think Pat. McAfee is like one of the best commentators in the last 15 years. Yes. No, I agree with that. I, I, I'm not going to, I don't feel bad about that, but there is like the whole, like his whole aesthetic, his whole show and all of his, cause you know, he's got all sorts of you know followers and stuff like that that are, they're kind of, and I mean, I don't want to go too far in this direction, but they're, they're kind of almost approaching kind of the bar stool kind of vibe, which is not my vibe. And I don't like that, um, right. but he is not that per se, but he's kind of, he's adjacent to it. So anyway, um yeah it's a good commentary check it out uh, daniel's appreciating it and he probably will too i'm looking forward to them calling uh uh the uh, royal rumble later this month from when they this got they released. got the royal rumble i don't know probably <laughs> hopefully anything can change i mean you know we keep listening to the show and then going back and being like we talk about people who got released like two days later it's like god damn man man what are we you can't get this right everyone's getting <laughs> right. released yeah, yeah, uh, yeah uh like i think yeah i think yeah anyway jeff hardy Recently released at the time of this recording. Really? Uh, for I example. didn't hear that yet. Just, really? No, it's true. His, his broken skull sessions was so cold, like dropped last week. It did. I know. And then he was uh, messed up on tour, and they offered him to go to rehab, and he said no, and said we got to release you. This will be old news for everybody who's listening to this, but Daniel's hearing this for the first time because Daniel has a life with a job and kids and a wife, and uh, he's got important things to do. And some unimportant things to do as well, but he's got yes. important things to do, so not always keeping him on this. Uh, so that's right. So Jeff Hardy is uh, is hopefully I hopefully getting some help at some point. Uh, oh, the dream because because the whole narrative of the podcast was like I know I'm healthy and clean and like it's good and like I know what I need now and like it's like oh my goodness okay well yeah. And I was enjoying, like, Jeff Hardy's elder statesman WWE. He's this guy who could still more or less wrestle the same style, but is aware of his, you know, his deficiencies and everything like that. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 sad what happened, really. Well, he was talking about, like, he had this vision for, like, one last good run for the title. Yeah. He was, like, talking up on the podcast. And I was, like, excited to see that. Um, I didn't think no it more. would happen, but I was hopeful. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
So Stephanie, sorry, Stephanie was talking about the six man tag match. We digressed a few times in there, which is good. But then Stephanie turns her attention to Sable. She starts threatening Sable, and then John Cena's music hits. And this is great. Uh, Michael Cole this says, is "So good to me." Anyway, that's funny. Michael Cole says, "What's this?" Which is a really, it's like, what's well, my, it's John Cena. It's not that weird. It's not like it like some random music hit and it would said like the janitor. Like, well, who's the janitor? It's like, no, no, we know who this is. Uh, it's John Cena. And so Cena, he gets to the ring. He starts rapping about how he dreamed about Stephanie McMahon last night and how hot she is. And Stephanie is just, con- she's doing just the kind of like the whole, like, like, oh my gosh. Like, look at the crowd being like, can you believe he's saying this? Oh my gosh, I'm so flattered by this. Uh, it, it's like Vince McMahon uh, was interrupted John Cena last week. More or less the same thing happened where John Cena was like, let me rap about your feud a little bit. Uh, and then this, uh, McMahon just reacts to John Cena. So it's kind of a similar thing. Right. Uh, Cena ends, but, but Cena ends his rap. Yeah. yeah. What's great about this one is that Cena is like feigning accidentally saying these things, which is like really cute. Right. <laughs> That's one way of feeling about it, sure. <laughs> or he's just, yeah, exactly. Uh, he ends by offering Stephanie twenty dollars to quote rip Sable's top off, and then he says, you know, since no one's watching, he wants to smack that ass. Essentially, is what he's trying to say. Uh, which I was, well, was he, like, he lets the crowd kind of, finish the line for him. Yeah, holds up that microphone. Yeah, but I was like, but this this kind of rude to the ratings of SmackDown at the time. No one's watching. Yeah, people are watching, right? Come on, hype it up a little bit. Everyone's oh, watching. Yeah, that's that's funny. Is that what he meant? Yeah. No, he didn't mean that. But he's just like he's like, no one's watching. I'm like, well, there's you know, eight thousand people in the room, uh, and another couple million at home. Uh, and maybe that's a joke of it, but it does seem kind of odd. And so Stephanie, so I'm watching this, trying to remember what happens here. And Stephanie, instead of being horrified by her employee's words and how he's coming on to her this way, she plays along and she dares him to slap her on the butt. And she even turns around and sticks it out. And then he just does it. And you're kind of like, well, that happens. John Cena said, I want to do it. And she just let it happen. Yeah. So the, like, the, great. The, the internal logic starts to break down. But again, this is like what happens is like Stephanie asserts herself as a, as a strong, confident manager. Um, after things go awry for her for a little bit, and then like within the same mm-hmm. breath, something really demeaning or degrading happens to her. Like either Eric Bischoff like lays one on her in the office, or like John Cena smacks her butt, or Scott Steiner like <laughs> tries. Oh, to we we cannot we cannot revisit what Scott Steiner did to support <laughs> Stephanie. <laughs> but it's but to this point, like, like she gets she gets like a leg up for like a moment and then within the same promo these things happen it's like oh my goodness right it's like stephanie as the people who are creating smackdown we respect you but we're also going to hit you with something lascivious shortly thereafter because you're a woman and that's what we have to do we're required to do it uh so shortly after john cena slaps that ass uh sable's music hits uh, but she doesn't come out. She instead appears on the screen in the SmackDown General Manager office. You can tell because there's a logo behind her, which is a traveling logo. Um, I presume Stephanie uh, must have said, bye, Sable, and walked out because that's where she was before this, I imagine. That's what you do if you have an office on the road. <laughs> Probably right. not. And so uh, she throws to a video from their fight last week in the presidential skybox. And it's funny because Taz and Michael Cole are immediately, when the video is on, they're like, Oh, it's kind of edited. Like, oh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a whole thing. And all the, the all that's happening here, and Stephanie addresses it, is that she cuts the video off before Stephanie starts to get the advantage again, uh, right. which only happened last week because Sable beat Stephanie jumped Sable. Sable beat her ass, <laughs> like destroyed her, and then Josh Matthews was like Sable, and she gets slapped on the face, and then Stephanie took advantage of that distraction and like fought her. 
and so we see the video. Michael Collins has her kind of like, oh, it's kind of edited there. And uh, Sable says Stephanie should take care of her mom because of the pile driver. Like we said, it's coming up here. And Sable said because she's taking care of her dad. And so it's like, okay, interesting. Uh, we at this point we think that Vince is with Linda, so it's like, are you, is she taking? Is he taking care? Of her? I mean, she's. I think she's with. He's with her, isn't she? We'll find out later if that's true or not. And uh, then Sable says, Stephanie, you know exactly where I am. So unlike last week where there was kind of a mystery where she was, she's, you know where I am. If you want to fight, you can come get me. So Stephanie takes her up on that, and she leaves the ring, and we take a commercial break. And so we see that during the break, Stephanie went to go find Sable. But she wasn't in her general's man, the general manager's office. So immediately we're like, okay, she's being a sneaky, sneaky lady here. And then there's this very silly, almost oh like goodness. parody movie, kind of almost naked gun level thing of like – Stephanie sees in a corner there's a, a blonde woman wearing more or less the same shirt, and so she grabs her and wheels her around. But it's not Sable, it's Tori Wilson. Well, I love how uh, Tori Wilson's yeah. wardrobe for the evening is predicated on this single joke, right? Like it, it doesn't yeah. even it doesn't even look like a thing that she normally wears. Like it's not no blue or bright pink. <laughs> well put, black. exactly. We see her later on, and she's dressed in what Sable is wearing, more or less, because I don't know. Also, it's one of those things where it's like, when you see Sable backstage, and be like, we feuded. We shouldn't wear the same thing. I don't like you. Yeah, and it's just like, it's not what Tori wears ever. Yeah, maybe, maybe Sable is like, look, we've had our problems, but, but Tori Wilson, here's $500. Can you wear this outfit and stand with your back over there? And all that's going to happen <laughs> is at one point, someone's going to ask you if you're me, and I'll say, just say no, and you, you're $500 richer. I've messed with them. And we go from there. It's like the game, you, right? The the uh, the David Fincher movie from the nineties. Oh, nice! I, I haven't seen that, but I'm excited to now. You gotta check um, it out. Just like just like a, a bunch of like someone has planned a bunch of stuff out, even though it seems like absurd they would plan it all that way. But that's what Sable's into. That's right. You you might get punched for this, but five hundred bucks, right? You would think that Stephanie Stephanie could very well just turn around, and slap her immediately, uh, but instead she yeah. does take the time to be like, "Is it you?" And uh, so so. Sable somewhere else, so Stephanie moves on, and uh, we'll come back to it. And she says, sorry, Tori, as she's, like, halfway gone. There we go. She's covering she's covered her bases there, which is nice. And so, first match of the evening, Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman are going up against Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore. Uh, and we're told, I mean, we talked about Ultimate Dragon earlier. We're told Ultimate Dragon's going to be on Heat on Sunday, because Heat is going to be a SmackDown pay, uh, show for the week, for the, for the night, because they're doing the pay-per-view. Um, although it would be pretty great if it was like Steve Richards against Spike Dudley. They're just like, yeah, they're also going to be here. Heat's a Raw show, okay? You should buy the pay-per-view, but we're still going to have Raw guys on it. Picture. Um, so, yeah, so Ray and Kidman are in a tag title match against uh, the world's greatest tag team, Charlton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, this Sunday. So the real drama of this match is if you ever believe that Matt and Shannon will beat the number one contenders, even though they completely ruined the match on Sunday. So it's kind of like, how are you going to enjoy this match? Well, maybe if, if you, at any point you believe that, that would help. Um, we get some Matt facts here. Is there any here. tension? Matt, yeah. But, is there any tension between Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio still? Have they played into that at all? Because there was nothing that not really picked up on this. Uh, kind of. Billy Kidman just keeps when they win matches, he just he like puts Ray on his shoulders and celebrates too much, uh, okay. and which seems disingenuous or like at least he looks like a d- the dummy for doing it. So, um, so he does it at the end of this match. Spoilers. Uh, so we'll see what happens, uh, on Sunday. If they win, if they win, maybe become tag team champions. I don't know. They might. It's not impossible. There's no way to find out either unless we watch Vengeance. So that's exciting. 
Uh, so Matt Facts here. So Matt Hardy comes out and gets some Matt Facts during his entrance. Uh, one of them is Mattitude is considered sacred in Japan. SmackDown crew just went to Japan. We'll see. We'll talk about that later on the show. And Mattitude and Kim and Rey Mysterio on consecutive pay-per-views. Uh, that's a pretty good point. And you're you know literally going and saying, hey, I've actually beaten both these guys before. Uh, at, so I believe No Way Out in WrestleMania 19, if I'm not mistaken. Back to back. Back to back. It's not bad. It's so not bad. Matt, Matt and Ray start. And at one point, Ray gets this kind of spinning X factor on Matt Hardy. Which lets Ray tag Kidman in. And I was kind of like, oh, it's funny. That's like a finisher of a guy who hasn't been here in a couple of years. But you're just like using it as a transition move. Maybe you just like use a stunner or something. You're kind of like, oh, there you go. But like X-Factor is a real thing. Right. Uh, Taz and Cole talk during the match about how hot it was. Fresno that day. And uh, Taz says it's like the Himalayas and how Kamala, the wrestlers from the Himalayas. And neither of those is true. <laughs> well, it's like, 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 like He's from Uganda. <laughs> like, and, but yeah, he's like, we remember this. But also, yes, exactly. He's from Mississippi, I believe. Yeah. James Sugar Bear Harris. Uh, Michael Cole last week, he mentioned The Missing Link, who was a wrestler in the 80s, and now mentioned Kamala. So we're just trying to, we're going very retro these days. Right, right, right. They're very old things to talk about, I guess. That's right. Just like this podcast. Nothing else to say. Dude, That's why we're just running through this like this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, so Billy Kidman's in there. He gets a hot tag to Rey Mysterio, who runs wild, and Matt and Shannon. Uh, and Ray gets in a electric hair, chair position with uh, Shannon Moore. And he spins. He gets a Hurricane Rana, and he puts Shannon Moore in prime 619 position. But as Ray runs the ropes to get to 619, Matt Hardy grabs him. Uh, and uh, Ray, momentarily distracted, gets uh, spin kicked by Shannon Moore and knocks him down. Kidman then gets the uh, the BK bomb on Shannon Moore, which is kind of like a lowdown, but also the BK bomb, I mean, that's got to be on the Burger King menu at some point, right? Like, I think I've had a BK bomb before. <laughs> and enjoyed it immensely, I hope. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, I have their kind of their puffy fries, which I'm not opposed to. They're not the worst things in the world. I mean, ideally, the one I would, you know, hopefully it would be at the Burger King uh, at the Tacoma Plaza in Dartmouth. That would be, that's the prime Burger King in my life. Wow. The Tacoma Plaza in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Hope it's still there. All right. If not R.I.P., rest in power, that Burger King specifically. <laughs> rest in power. Were you a Burger King guy, Daniel? I don't think Burger King shows up on the show otherwise, so I'm never going to have an opportunity to ask you about Burger King. I had a I had a string of uh, Burger King fascination when I would when hmm. I was young. I used to walk by myself to Taekwondo, and it was a very long walk. And Taekwondo would happen like kind of just after supper time. So what I would do is I would walk and then stop at Burger King. And have either uh, mainly poutine. Mainly poutine is what I would get. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. then I would go and exercise for an hour or two hours on a stomach full of poutine. I mean, these are the I things you that. can do when you're a preteen slash teenager. In Canada specifically, right? The idea that you can go to do, like you know pretty much any fast food place has a poutine option here because it's a cheap way to do something with it. That's right. Um, yeah, I've had I have had a Whopper for breakfast at the. Burger King in Lower Sackville, which I believe is the burger you were referring to. So I've been yeah, there for breakfast. There it is. Famously, famously in my life at least, if you go to the Burger King, I hope this is still the case. If you go to Burger King for breakfast, and I'm, what a life you live if you do. Uh, if you look, the last item on the list is just a Whopper with a burger with the fries and a drink. And as if Burger King's kind of being like, I mean, no one says you can't have a Whopper for breakfast. Like, no, there's nothing illegal here. <laughs> yeah, you're. And, you're and here, just people just kind of be like, I'm. Anyway. Just do yeah. Just do Are you better than this? Is there someone that's like, don't you want a Whopper for breakfast? And at one point I was like, you know what? I do. I went for my birthday. <laughs> I was like, I think one year I was just like, next time my birthday is on a Wednesday, I'm going to Whopper for breakfast because why the hell not? And I did it. <laughs> I feel good about it. And I do it again. 
watch next on the calendar. November 25th, it's a Wednesday. You can bet where I'll be that morning. Um, and it might be might be somewhere very stupid. I do, anyway, back. I do, I do enjoy Burger King as like a, as like a, I haven't had that in a while, and I always enjoy it when yes. we go back around to it. Yeah, at no point have I ever been like, I'm eating too much Burger King this month. I'm going there all the time. That's right. It's hard to get there. It's true. Uh, so the BK bomb is the move that Billy Kidman gets on Shannon Moore. Uh, but Matt Hardy grabs him. He gets a side effect on Kidman. And then Ray goes for a springboard something on Matt. But Matt catches him and gets a power bomb on him. Uh, but Matt can't cover him because he's not the legal man. And so Ray tags in Billy, who gets a crossbar in Shannon Moore. But the ref misses Kidman's cover because he's busy with Ray Mysterio for no real reason. Maybe there's some tension brewing there. Another reason why Billy Kidman could be potentially mad because he can't win the match that way. Mm. And Matt Hardy, seeing the ref distracted, he goes up and he hits a leg drop on Billy Kidman to break up that pin. Uh, and so then uh, there's a cover off of that uh, bring up the pin. And then Ray breaks the pin up for that. And then uh, Kidman gets Shannon across the middle rope. Ray hits a 619. But then Matt Hardy grabs Ray Mysterio on the apron. And then – and I love when this happens. Ray Mysterio does something I haven't seen before or since. Um, and he does an Arabian press moonsault, and I hope that's the right phrasing for it there. I keep calling it the Arabian press moonsault because it's what I've seen Sabu do, and I'm pretty sure it's what it's called that. Um, and so he hits Arabian press moonsault to the floor. Uh, when it's, So essentially you hop up, you bounce your legs off a top rope, and you let the bounce of the ring ropes flip you over in a moonsault, and he hits it on Matt Hardy. I've seen him do that in the ring. I've never seen him do it outside the ring. I've never seen him do it since. Maybe he does it all the time. I don't know. Right, right. I know that Not sure. he and Sabu had a match at uh, One Night Stand 2 that uh, was referee stoppage. They had to stop it because the medical examiner was like, these men can't fight anymore. These men can't fight anymore. His voice was really high pitched for some reason. Oh, that sounds fun. Maybe we'll go back and watch that. That sounds yeah. incredible. It was a nice little match. Kind of, kind of uh, Kidman... Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, now, now i got to check it out. Um, so Kidman, while the, all that's happening, he gets a shooting star press in the corner on Shannon Moore and gets the one, two, three. And then afterwards, he lifts Ray on his shoulders, celebrating a bit too much, and we move on. I really liked the shenanigans of this match. I thought that Shannon Moore and Matt Hardy worked really well together, capitalizing yeah. on the referee distractions and making sure that that happens. I thought it was all really smooth and slick. So I give a 10 out of 10 for shenanigans in this match. It was done the way I like to see it done. And I like seeing Shannon Moore and Matt Hardy not having a weird um, abusive marriage feud thing. I, I, yeah, I, I just like seeing uh, them like co-heels. It was a nice thing. Yes, the dynamic of like, I'm kind of in charge of you, but we're on a team and we don't need that much airtime to establish that. And it's good. No, I get that. Uh, and you heard it here first, folks. Shannon again, 10 out of 10. Uh, and so we go backstage. We see Sable is backstage. She's kind of standing there. And then we hear Stephanie yelling at her, and Sable turns, so does the camera. We see Stephanie running towards her, and we get a fairly famous moment here. Uh, renowned, uh, celebrated on the internet uh, especially, where Stephanie beats on Sable, and she throws her on the hood of a limousine. Oh, yeah. And after a couple of, after a couple of times, Stephanie manages to rip Sable's shirt and bra off, and there is a censored shot of Sable topless briefly as she escapes into the limo, and the crowd's like, oh. Uh, so presumably because it wasn't that, that's it. If that. you were live, were you seeing that full frontal? Like, I presume was... so. I, I think so because I don't think because I think I think that's happening live largely. Was that um, the intention? Uh, for the because oh, they were gonna censor it for the TV audience, but I guess for uh, in, no, no, no. In, I in mean, the, like, the was the intention to take all the apparel yeah. off? Okay. Well, I mean, John Cena even says earlier he says, oh, "I want you to take her, rip her clothes off." 
Oh, and she does. Yeah, so, I mean, it, she, she it, it, it's really paid off in a way. Yeah, why, there should have been a scene where John Cena just goes, that was awesome. They gave her 20 bucks and slapped her on the <laughs> rear end again. That makes sense. And and then so uh, Stephanie, so Sables goes into the limos, limousine. Stephanie grabs the door handle and screams, let me in, like she's possessed. Or like she's like that uh, that meme, let me in. Uh, and uh, she looks she looks around. She says there's a bunch of equipment nearby, and she finds a steel rod, uh, which I could see having no purpose other than trying to for smashing a, a limousine window. Well, well, it's really funny and, that like she had to have known it was there, like because you wouldn't look at a box like that as confidently as she did unless you knew that that was what right. you were looking for. Yeah. She would look and be like, "Oh, there's wires in here. Cool. <laughs> like, there's no other way you could do that." <laughs> yeah. Uh, or it's like a 15-foot pipe, and you're like, well, you can't wield that. <laughs> right, There's yeah, just yeah. a pipe in that's an incredibly it, long It's pipe. amazing that there was something perfect at her disposal in that space. Exactly. Uh, and she goes to hit the window, but Vince McMahon pops <gasps> out of nowhere He's to stop her. He's not with Linda! He's not with Linda. He taps on the limo, and it drives off, and Stephanie shifts. She gets emotional. She's angry at Vince for not being with her mother. Vince says he doesn't answer to her and that she had better be careful to not end up incapacitated like her mother after facing Sable of Vengeance. And then Vince storms off. So Stephanie, in her rage, she throws the pipe behind her, which bounces, but thankfully does not bounce back and hit her or anything like that. And then she yells this very primal scream. Yeah. And uh, these segments are really a, a really a roller coaster in tone. Because if we take it from the first segment to the, like these events here, Stephanie flirts with John Cena. It's like, haha, that's funny. And Stephanie take, mistakes Tori for Sable. I was like, ha, that's funny. And then Stephanie rips Sable's top off, and it's like, ooh la la. Not funny, but kind of at least titillating. Uh, and Stephanie screams and brandishes a steel pipe and gets emotional talking about her mom with her father. And it's like, that's not funny. Am I supposed to be happy, sad, horny, or angry? I just don't know. <laughs> they're not They're not giving you a clarity on this match. Well, it's also just like, like in, in wrestling, it's just like, so why do I want to see this match? Is it, is it like, is Sable going to get uh, stripped again or something like that? Is that why? No. Is, is Stephanie going to be able to to fight this emotional battle? I don't know. Is it funny? I don't know. Well, for me, the like the best part of the angle is like a few weeks ago when Vince like came to a realization that he might have misused and abused his relationship with his daughter for for business. And and now there's like that tone is gone, like that understanding that maybe he's in the wrong, like he's just like doubled down on the evil. And I like that Vince McMahon less for this story specifically. Like I think it works generally, but it's just like, but no, you you showed some you showed some heart a few weeks ago, and I I liked that conflict in him. And this right. time around, it was more interesting for sure. He's like, I don't give a damn, and you can't speak for me. Your mother certainly can't. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's almost like 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 if he was the same guy as a couple weeks ago, he would be like, I don't care what those guys did to you after those meetings. Well, as opposed to what we actually saw, which is he was like, oh, I didn't think. What? Well, how was I to know that making my 17 year old daughter meet with creepy businessmen would have any negative impacts on her? Right. Right. It's the one issue with that whole storyline. Kind of like, I feel like you should know. Yes. That she's not like your CFO or something, buddy. And so next up, uh, and another uh, feud that is just absolutely wonderful for women, uh, Jamie Noble's going up against Billy Gunn with Tori Wilson. And uh, Jamie Noble, having previously upgraded to nicer shorts, is now also wearing a Hawaiian shirt, uh, a Hawaiian shirt with cut sleeves, because he's rich now. He's got money from his uh, his deceased aunt. <laughs> Love that that's so it's very thing. exciting. 
And so Noble gets on the mic to clarify that Nidia's absence uh, is not because she, he recently offered Tori Wilson $10,000 and then $25,000 to sleep with her. And he says she's uh, yeah she's sick. Yeah, that's it, essentially, is the way he does, uh, which is great. I love I love that. You can see right through him. It's funny. He's cartoony. It's great. And he's then Noble says character. that Tori can actually – He's so good at oh, playing this. Uh, like, he just nails it every time. So good. It's simply the best. Uh, and so Noble says, okay, Tori, you can name your price. Then what's it going to take? $75,000? $100,000? Uh, and so that new offer for Tori Wilson leads to Billy Gunn storming out with her, ready to take on Noble. And so Billy, he they start the match. Billy gets the advantage most of the time. He gets his hip neck, uh, sorry, his hip toss into a neck breaker move on Jamie Noble. And then uh, Noble and Billy end up outside the ring. And Noble chases Tori into the weight ring. Billy gets Noble into a fallaway slam position, and then he turns and slams Noble with a kind of rock bottom. That's a move, right, Daniel? Do you know what I mean? I, I had a hard time describing it, but like somebody has that as like almost a finisher, right? A kind of a rock bottom? Right, because that's the, the move he ends the match with, where he's like, he's got them in the power slam, and then he's got, or like, he's kind of got them in like the slam position, and he like, he rolls and goes, whoa, and he kind of flips uh, Jamie Noble around. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I, it, it existed, I don't know if it's one of those, it might be another one of those things where it was like, it was like an indie move people were using in 2003 that WWE guys were just kind of like, oh, I'll just take that. Right. But um, it, it finishes him here. Uh, and so uh, Billy Gunn gets the one, two, three. And Billy Gunn has like three finishers now. He's a famouser. He's got the Cobra Clutch Slam, the the one and only that he used before. Now he's got this one too. He's just he's collecting finishers here all over the place. He he's just trying to establish himself. I think I think he's in a he's floundering a bit, but like still hopeful. I don't know if he's floundering. He's got he's got Tori Wilson there with him. He's in he's in matches. He's got well, a few yeah, with Jamie yeah, Noble. But like, but like <laughs> if you're like okay, the last four weeks. I've been feuding with Jamie Noble. I mean, you kind of wonder where you're at in the company, but that's fine. I would be thrilled. I say diplomatically. <laughs> no, I think, you know, actually, good point. <laughs> you're like, you're, you're not exactly going to be like challenging for the world title next month if you're uh, challenging Jamie Noble. Stranger things have happened. You know, people have gone from worse feuds. Uh, Big Show went from like dropping people on Raw to being like the biggest deal on SmackDown. And, and he maintains that spot to this day in 2003, well, at least. Well, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I feel like that's just like um, someone. He was someone's favorite, you know. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's obviously true. And so Billy Gunn, he's mad after the match, but he goes to leave with Tori, and then Jamie Noble gets on the mic and he demands a rematch. He he knows he's better than Billy Gunn, and he's even better than Tori. And so Billy Gunn, they come back in. Billy grabs the mic, but Tori takes the mic and she says, "You know what? I'm so confident in Billy Gunn's talents that if Jamie Noble beats Billy Gunn of Vengeance." She'll sleep with him on SmackDown next week. So there's a match for you there. Um, and I got to say, Tori, if you know, if I'm going back to July 2003 and I got to send a message, like, look, Tori, here's the thing. You have to know that Jamie Noble could at least get a roll-up or cheat. And you could very well have to have sex with him because that's the uh, stipulation you've set up here. Like, there's a 30% chance Billy Gunn could lose. Yeah, uh, It's not guaranteed, right? Like, anytime this thing's going to happen. And it's also, I mean, obviously there's something weird about the whole, like, I'll consent to non-consensual sex if you win. It's like, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> Yeah. What is, the, what is the thing there? So, <laughs> it's like you you almost have to have a history of doing that to even make that off. Like, like, right. Like, how are you possibly comfortable with that as the thing unless you've done it before? Right. Well put. I guess there uh, always has to be a first time. I don't know. It feels yeah, like the first time. Mm. Very good. Uh, this past weekend, in 2003 time, uh, SmackDown was unleashed in the East. They went on an, an Asian tour. Uh, and so we get to see John Cena with a sushi chef. 
Uh, Kurt Angle is in a, a traditional robe. Is even a Japanese guy in full rock cosplay. Uh, we see Tori Wilson at a floating market in Thailand. And uh, Ray and Kurt Angle talk about how much they love wrestling in Japan. And uh, it looks fun. The crowd seem excited. I bet the uh, travel probably isn't fun, but uh, it seems like an adventure. Just a yeah, it looks, it looks nice. It looks, yeah. There they are. I like it. Made me a little bit hungry. I even ha- I've had sushi recently, and I was still hungry for sushi after seeing that. Is this is this when Brock started laying down his plans to like wrestle in Japan and leave the WWE and stuff? That'd be funny. I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, I'm sure it would at least be something that uh, was in his mind, where he's like, "I've wrestled in Japan, and the crowds were dope." I could see that being a thing. Um, so yeah, maybe. Who knows? Uh, and so we go from there. We see uh, we're backstage. We see Bradshaw holding his new book. He's talking to Ron Simmons there. It's a book about like a money management. Um, yeah, this is so, pre Brecha being a uh, mogul, even though he kind of was. He's getting there, right? So like, this is a real book he wrote oh, yeah. about financial success mm-hmm. because he is financially mm-hmm. successful. So, th- so this mm-hmm. is the moment where I realized that uh, you've been right that the APA is not something to be as excited about as I was. Um, and I'm like, no. oh, <laughs> oh, this is this is a <laughs> this is a very last legs APA that we're seeing here and uh it, right. it shows really clearly here just like is it's not looking good it's like oh man these guys are not in sync and this like barroom brawl thing like why like why are they trying to recruit on a military base like why aren't they just like these used to be the guys that had their own like room set up at the back and people came to them so it's just weird right. seeing them soliciting fights like people should be like want it should be coming to them yeah i like i like that as a thing an element too where like if you're a wrestler and like thing uh like unfair happened you could at least recruit the apa as like a last resort that's kind of a, not a bad thing to have in there and now it seems like they're just kind of like yeah yeah it's like as if they're like their little uh, poker table and door got like foreclosed on they're kind of like de- they're desperate for any action they can get yeah they're like going around asking for people stuff like Oh, please let's let's do that. Uh, and so uh, yeah, I mean this this scene is about uh, the A Train comes out to them, and he's invited to their barroom brawl at Vengeance. And A Train asks who's gonna be there because he wants to beat them up. And it's funny because everybody he says th- like they name a bunch of guys and it's all like real. They're all there even though it sounds stupid because he's like, well, Brother Love is gonna be there. Uh, and you're like, well, I gotta go see Vengeance now. Brother Love is gonna be there. <laughs> uh, they also say the Conquistadors are gonna be there. Matt and John from Tough Enough Three. No, John doesn't uh, is John Hennigan, aka Johnny Morrison. So that's that's impressive now in retrospect. Right. Also, they're uh, Doink and the Easter Bunny. And uh, A Train says where he's from, they hate Easter. Uh, sorry, they hate the Easter Bunny. I don't know what that means. I don't know who <laughs> where they, where they are. They hate the Easter Bunny, but sure. He's like from like right. New England or something too. I don't know. I don't know. There's particularly history of them hating the Easter Bunny there, as far as I know. Right. Well, Matt, Matt, Matt yeah. Bloom. You can't you can't crack that guy. That's right. Uh, uh, Ron Simmons agrees with that A Train. He says the Easter Bunny ditched the hood. So I think there's a little, at least a little bit of uh, animosity there towards the Easter Bunny. So he can get his. He might have to be looking over his shoulder at Vengeance. Uh, and uh, A Train tries. To, sorry, Bradshaw tries to sell A Train his book, but then A Train just leaves. And then up walks Steve Lombardi, aka the Brooklyn Brawler. But they do, they're like, hey, you're Steve Lombardi. You worked backstage here. And when you're the Brooklyn Brawler, you were terrible. Uh, he says, well, look, I'm a brawler. I want to be in the barroom brawl for obvious reasons. And I also hate Doink the Clown. And uh, Bradshaw says, well, you're really bad at wrestling, so you need to prove yourself between now and Sunday in order to get in there. So we'll see. Uh, he only has a very limited window. 
so to the rest of SmackDown, and I guess technically Velocity, he was going to do that. Although he would have to go backwards in time <laughs> right. to actually do that. So that's tough. Uh, and then we, we we switch dramatically to uh, John Cena, who is once again uh, not at SmackDown, but he's outside. Last week he was in a graveyard. This time um, he's holding a torch and he's rapping about The Undertaker. He invokes Midian. He says he, says he can't be sacrificed. And we pull back to see that John Cena is standing in a flaming pentagram, uh, which is a pretty intense symbol. Uh, to be using for a feud like this, we're kind of like but, but, he's talking about he's talking he about also, the dead man and mystery undertaker and stuff. He also invokes divine power. He's like, dead man's gonna use like devilish ways, but I'm gonna use divine intervention or something. And it's like you're standing in a pentagram, man. I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if you know how this works. Um, you you arranged a burning pentagram. I think you might have accidentally given your soul to somebody in the netherworld. <laughs> I'm not totally sure. The, At least did all the things you're supposed to, to do. Yeah, yeah. This one was weird to me because, like, I like, I liked it. Like, I liked the rap. I liked the ambiance. I liked that he's feuding with the Undertaker and things are going dark. Like, I like yeah. that. But it was just like he wasn't wearing the same jersey as he was earlier, so we knew that it was filmed outside time. This had no like lead yeah. in or like lead out. Like, it was just like dropped in the middle of the show. Like, it felt like a commercial. Like, it felt like. TV show cut, and then the commercial started, and then the commercial ended, and the TV show started again. It just felt disconnected from what was happening. And I was like, that was odd. That was just strange. Um, and, like, you know, not, not the same... having The Undertaker yeah. around was weird, too. Like, not having The Undertaker, like, not even a video promo of The Undertaker to, like, rebuke or whatever. Rebut. That would make sense. Honestly, that would make a lot of sense to have a rebuke one, because last week he did he did a very similar thing where he wrapped in a graveyard, he ended by peeing on a grave. And uh, but he was also on the show with Vince McMahon and like, yeah, so it is a little disjointed where you're like, OK, so he's there. He's there. I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of neat because you see that with John Cena, they obviously have faith in him because they're like, well, we'll give these very cool segments. No, one, not everybody just gets to feud with the Undertaker and be like, here, you know, I get to use symbols and uh, places that have a lot to do with you uh, to get me over in this feud. So it's like, OK, uh, but yeah, it is disjointed and it feels a little bit strange considering he's already been out there slapping the general managers behind. So uh, it's a funny thing. And also, honestly, sorry, more to the point that you said earlier, it would also make sense for, since John Cena was in a graveyard last week, uh, to rap about it, it makes sense that, John, that Undertaker was somewhere else, and he was like, I saw what you did last week, and he'd like, talk about that. Not to rap, I think that would be probably a bad mistake to have Undertaker rap, but to have a bit of a rebuke, that could be, that could be interesting. Yeah, well, well, just something like, um, again, like, Cena hasn't been really associated with cars yet, so you couldn't really do it by that, and like, and Eddie kind of has that stick going on right now, but like have some. Well, that's up next, exactly. The Undertaker like rides a car off a cliff or something. Ooh, I like that. Is he in it or when he goes off the edge? Or does he get <laughs> yeah, out? yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I bet just you get know. picture when they're with you. <laughs> yeah, get out of there. So, like we said, Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero comes out next. He's coming out. He, he comes out in a, a, a 1964 Chevy Impala that's been modified, apparently. And then uh, before Eddie gets to do anything, that we hear about from our sponsors. The first one is Your Future, the anti-drug, which is an anti-marijuana campaign. Um, didn't succeed very much. People still smoke weed. Uh, also, an ad for Foot Locker. I think it's a specific shoe at Foot Locker they like. And Taco Bell. Think outside the bun. And one of these days, Daniel, I'm going to go get Taco Bell because they keep advertising on SmackDown, and I just want it. Right. I had Taco Bell uh, Saturday. Ah, jealous. You thought it's on the bun. Party. He wanted tacos. We ordered a bunch of tacos. I got some burritos for burritos. After you've had like real burritos for a while, having burritos from Taco Bell just isn't quite the same thing. But hey, I can't imagine happy. it would be that good. 
That's right. Um, that makes sense, yeah. Uh, and so Eddie, he's got this car there, uh, and there's a bit of dirt on the chrome of the bumper. Maybe it's a little uh, refried bean from a bean burrito at uh, Taco Bell, for all we know. Right. And so he goes to his trunk, and he gets some spray wax out, according to Michael Cole. Not like it was water spray. He says, oh, it's spray wax. And so it's like, okay, um, I wonder if that's going to factor in later. It does. <laughs> really uh, also, it's funny because it's like, yeah, exactly. This exists. It's Chekhov spray wax uh, to keep invoking Chekhov. Um, and uh, also, they kind of keep playing with the idea this is like Eddie Guerrero's car, but it's like he's borrowing these. I thought it was pretty obvious he's borrowing these cars week to week because he, he can't drive them around. Like, I'm going to make any sense. Well, this is the first time that I had this thought was I what I totally bought in to the fact that these were Eddie's cars until I thought about it for a split second. And I was like, there's no way he could travel with a fleet of cars. So, like, I, I'm really interested in, like, the backstage of this. Like, how this works? So they roll into town. Like, who calls ahead of time? Who do they contact to get a car like this? Who who lends a car like this? Like, I feel like this is something that people would invest a lot of money and time in. To. I know, but your car could be on TV, though. That would be pretty cool. I think it's probably one of those things. I think it would almost make more sense for it to be like, it's almost cooler. Like, Eddie goes around, he borrows cars. That's cool. People, like, respect him. He gets to ride anything he wants. He shows up any town he wants to and gets to ride a car around. That's cool. Doesn't have to get a rental. It's a good way to live. So they could have done that, but they don't do that. And so Eddie goes to the ring, and he gets on the mic, and he's pretty beloved in Fresno. Fresno is 50% um, Latin American, at least when I looked in 2020. So... Um, my understanding is that it's, it's a heavily, heavy Latin American population here. So Eddie's very, uh, very over. People are cheering for him. They love him. Uh, and uh, he gets on the mic. He talks about Chris Benoit, how they wrestle in Japan, ECW, WCW, and how they're best friends. And then Chris Benoit's music hits. And even though he doesn't have a match tonight, he's out in his tights and ring gear. And so Eddie and Chris hug. And Benoit grabs the mic. There's a loud Eddie Guerrero chant or Eddie chant. And uh, Benoit, he questions Eddie for calling him his best friend. He says, we haven't talked in a while. And Benoit says he's not going to be tricked into trusting Eddie like Eddie's other friend, Tajiri. And it's like, well, good points, right, Eddie? We've seen him on camera right. ingratiating himself towards somebody. And the minute he hit his car, Tajiri went through the windshield. Friend? Maybe not have been planned. I'm not your friend. You haven't called me in months. Well, it takes two he's to calling tango, each other. Benoit. It's two to tango. Why didn't you call him? Oh, my gosh. You, did you write this whole thing down? <laughs> Pretty much. I just, it just it just struck me that's all it just struck me that benoit was complaining about someone not calling him but like in a relationship i mean you know it'd be like me being like matt you haven't texted me in like six months what do you hate me or something and you being like well you didn't text me in six months either and you're like yeah i hate you i'm just establishing whether or not you hate me <laughs> i've done my part make sure you've done yours uh, and so Eddie says, you know what? Actually, you're not my best friend. I actually can't stand you, Chris Benoit. Uh, and so there we go. Eddie Guerrero early on the Chris Benoit hate train. Uh, so for years, you know, when they were wrestling, it was always, wow, Chris Benoit was such a great wrestler. Even when Eddie and Chris came to WWE and um, he was so mad about that. So Eddie says he's going to prove that he's better vengeance. Do you think there's, a, there's some ba- truth yeah. in this? Do you think that like he's tapping into something oh, sure. real that he felt? Because Chris Benoit reacts to this really well, where he keeps on tapping his temples, saying, like, it's all in your head, man. Like, you're not thinking straight. Like, it wasn't like that. Um, and, like, Taz even, like, kind of builds into that. Is like, it wasn't like that back in ECW and stuff. Yeah. Like, we both respected. Both, I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it because I was like, at least me, I'll speak just for myself here, but, like, I have those kind yeah. of insecurities that are totally, like, blown out of proportion where I'm like, 
people see other people as great and not me and like da 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 but it's like at the same time people are probably like no 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 like daniel's in that camp or like you know eddie's in that camp of great wrestlers yeah they're like you know daniel daniel's just as cool as matt is people aren't talking about matt more than talking about daniel right but i'm like exactly no 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 matt matt is matt is the shining star here I, i'm just i'm just a p his peon that's right. Well, at least you know that, which is, which is good. Uh, and yeah, I, I like that too when Taz is like, I was there. It wasn't the case. It was like, yeah, I like when anytime he can kind of be like, yeah, that's uh, like I, I can attest and have some credibility as a commentator. I was a big deal in ECW. So yeah, that works. Um, so Chris says, you know, why don't we have a match tonight? And he says, um, you know what? If I do that, that kind of proves my point, which is that I just do whatever you want me to say, which is kind of like, okay, that makes sense. Like he's saying like, uh, you know, you used to tell me to jump. I'd say how high and I'm going to do that. No. And so Eddie leaves the ring, and when he sees Benoit has his back turned to him, he runs back in and he hits him. Yeah, but, get him. But then Benoit gets the better of Eddie, though. He hits a back body drop, and uh, Eddie goes out onto the floor, and Benoit follows him. But Eddie's got a trick up his sleeve because that spray wax from earlier, he has it, and he sprays it in Chris's eyes. And uh, Michael Cole yells, that's, the sp- that's that spray wax. That's that spray wax. He, yes, he, he definitely makes sure that we know what it is and what's happening there. Uh, and so Benoit was screaming and screaming as Benoit does. Ah, 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 like that. And uh, Rhino runs down to defend Benoit because Rhino is uh, he, he's associated with Benoit. Michael calls him Benoit's true friend. He's just like, Unlike he's not a Eddie. hater. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He's not a hater. He's not like he's not he's not fake. He would never cause drama for no reason. And so Rhino asks Eddie on the mic. He asks if he has any cojones. He means cojones. Cojones, rather. Uh, and he changes into a fight in a really awkward way, which leads to a commercial break. And then this match, Rhino versus Eddie Guerrero. So I was wondering for a long time, because, like, we're getting close-ish. Like, we're still far away. We're still, like, almost a year out. But, like, WrestleMania 20 mm-hmm. is coming, and we're going to have, you know, before that, Eddie will be champ. And then Chris Benoit will be champ at WrestleMania 20. And I was like, w- when is that going to start materializing? Like, when, when am I going to start to see, like, the seeds of that because like there's moments where so far in this podcast where we've seen kind of like wow they're awesome and like good things are happening but like still like as far as creative direction goes they weren't being treated that way this strikes me as like the first kind of step in that direction where it's like okay these guys are going to be wrestling for the united states championship at vengeance um they're really kind of giving some nice emotion and some nice backstory to this feud and I was like, okay, I can see, I can see it starting now. Is that accurate? Like, is this one that's kind of like this? Yeah, I mean, going to take them to the championships. Like, there's definitely been a time where I was watching this show. and I'm kind of like, yeah, Benoit. It was he wrestled for the world title, uh, at WWE title at a Royal Rumble, and he wouldn't stiff the main event scene for for a long, long time after that. Uh, he was in tag matches and stuff like that. So I think here, yeah, I mean, it's a good reason. I think just to say, like, look, when they needed to redebut. A mid-card title and they need to give it a legitimate contender they brought these guys together to uh, make that happen and so these are guys they believe in at least to an extent and even though there's uh, obviously some action going on in the uh the world title scene on smackdown uh these guys are still important enough there so i think that's a very valid point daniel i think you're probably right yeah i'm excited for it i'm here for it yeah so uh rhino he's dominating i think for a lot of this time here rhino at one point gets a cross face on eddie which looks tough because he'd be so much bigger than eddie it'd almost be impossible for eddie to get out of it but he does uh and then towards the end here uh rhino gets a belly to belly slam 
and he lines up for a gore. But Eddie pulls the ref in the way, so Rhino has to pull up. He doesn't actually run into him. And that distracts the referee, which allows Eddie to hit a low blow on Rhino. And so Rhino's on, he's on the ground. He's holding his groin. And Eddie also falls to the ground, and he holds his groin. And the referee Beautiful. looks at them, and he's like Beautiful. confused. <laughs> it's very well done. And then Eddie gets up gingerly, and he gets a running dropkick on Rhino. And then he covers Rhino with his feet on the ropes to get the one, two, and the three. And I was kind of surprised that just because just like a, he's just drop kicks him after kicking him after punching him in the groin, which doesn't seem like it would be enough to beat him, but it does. Yeah, well, uh, don't yeah. underestimate. Never underestimate kick to the balls. Yeah, it's true. But he also gets his feet on the ropes. Uh, and uh, Rhino also right. doesn't kick his legs very much when he's in this roll-up, Daniel. It's a very Daniel thing I would complain about. Would just be like, he's not he's not kicking the legs. He's not like, oh, no, what happened to me? No, I guess maybe he's got no. too much groin pain, it, maybe. It, 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 it frustrates me, right? This is, yeah, this is bad. This is bad for him. There's another one we're going to talk about a little later where I kind of give it a pass. But this one, no thank you. Yeah. No thank you. Uh, next up here, we have the APA against the FBI. And it's the, the two big boys of the FBI. And um, so, we see so, a clip so from this the, is like a five. This is a five star. Like we're gonna get a good twenty minutes out of this match, are we? Oh yeah. We start off with a little promo here for showing us. Uh, hey, yeah, Farouk and Brad. Sorry, Ron Simmons and Bradshaw uh, were in the Middle East this past week, and there was a little skit where they uh, they they run into a, a an army an army a soldier there, and they give him a flyer and say, Hey, if you see Saddam Hussein, give him this. It's like I think they probably would shoot Saddam Hussein. I know that's not how he actually dies, but that probably what do we do? And then. Um, he also has this deck of cards, this terrorist deck of cards. I don't know if that's something you're familiar with, but there was like there was a time where they, the U.S. government would like make these decks of cards, and on them, on the back of them would be like guys in terrorist rings who they want to get. It's a way of like getting, I don't know if it's morale or just getting people like, hey, make sure we want to get rid of this guy, put him on a card. I don't know. Uh, and then uh, they're they're walking, they're in the desert really, and so Bradshaw and uh, Ron Simmons they have like water and like Gatorade, and their soldiers like, hey, uh, you have some water there? And he's like. Yeah, you get, you need it or else you'll die out here. Ha ha. And they walk away and the soldier's like, oh, man. And it's like, are they really supporting the troops here? Because they just uh, they didn't give any water. <laughs> they just left that guy to die in the desert heat. I guess. Great, great fans of troops here. And so uh, we go back to the actual action here for this five-star match. And the FBI's, the FBI guys attack the APA as they get in the ring. And pretty quickly, uh, Stamboli is holding on to, I believe it's Bradshaw. So he gets super kicked, but Palumbo super kicks uh, Stamboli instead. And then Palumbo gets a close line from Hell from Bradshaw, and the APA get the win in 27 seconds. And that's the kind of jobbing I was hoping the FBI would do from here on out. And that's what happens here, at least. They lose in less than 30 seconds. Yeah, it's um, definitely a, a big fall from grace for the FBI. It's like now now they're where they belong. This is fine. Yeah. Also, weirdly, Ron Simmons is called Farouk by Michael Cole here. Um, and I guess he's Farouk again. Like, like conspicuously, a few weeks ago, they called him Ron Simmons. And I was like, weird that he's with Bradshaw, but he's Ron Simmons again. But here they call him Farouk when he wins the match. Even Justin Roberts is the same thing when he announces it. So I was like, okay, sure. J- when, when Jason Roberts announces it. Jason Roberts. Sorry, yes. They always specify <laughs> that he uses that other name there. And so after the match, the EPA gets a double spybuster on Dunzio, who's around there. Uh, and then suddenly Brooklyn Brawler runs down. And uh, he doles out headshots uh, with chairs, his chair shots to the head, rather, uh, to Bradshaw and Farouk. And it's kind of weird that, like, it's being played for comedy here. Uh, when back then it was like, uh, like, oh, like, like, sorry, back, like now, if you hit somebody in the head with a chair, you'd be like, wow, that's crazy. You don't do that. But back then it's like, haha, look what he did. These <laughs> yeah, guys, what a, fun, what a funny guy. Um, and so, yeah, uh, then the Bashams run down, they get their finisher on Bradshaw, and they hold up Bradshaw so that uh, Sean O'Hara can show up and super kick him. Then A-Train is there, he hits a Vader bomb on Farouk. 
Um, and Michael Cole says 850 pounds when A-Train lands. For the close captions say 350 pounds. Which makes more sense because <laughs> no one's going to believe that A-Train is 800 pounds. Um, A-Train yells, I will be there about the barroom brawl. And then even the FBI can get a couple kicks in on the APA before leaving. So the APA have been laid low. Uh, maybe it's a good thing uh, with the troops and how poorly they were treated. That they would That's also right. get uh, treated like that. I was I was That's very right. excited here, actually, that it was like, oh, I was not excited about this barroom brawl, but now I kind of am. Like, I liked kind of like that's going to be a nice mass of humanity in that match. That'll be just good for that, a giggle, you know? That is a good way of describing it, for sure. So then we go backstage, and Zach Gowan is getting ready, and uh, all of a sudden uh, Vince McMahon shows up. And Zach Gowan cocks his fist in a kind of like a why I oughta pose. And uh, we see just how skinny Zach is here. Like it's just He's just a very lean young man. Uh, he's not fat, though. I mean, if you want to get one thing, he's just real skinny. That's about it. And uh, Vince says he's not here to jump Zach out, and he's here to say he doesn't have any sympathy for him. But after Sunday, he's going to give people a reason to be sympathetic for him. And Zach gives, says that Vince is a sorry excuse for a human being, which gets a smackdown pop. And then Vince continues to threaten Zach. Uh, but then suddenly Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar are behind him. And he leaves and said they'll, they'll need some luck tonight. And uh, so that, that's where we go from here. And then, Daniel, this is where we get what was cut out. And what was, what was cut out what was... Is, well, it was the rundown for the matches with the pay-per-view. And the best guess as to why this is cut out is because I think there's a rights issue with the Vengeance 2003 pay-per-view theme song, which was the song Price to Play by Stained. Okay. So Stained, maybe, let's say just here. Um, I listened to the song to see if I had any vague memory of it. It just kind of sounds like every song back then. Stuff like that. And, uh, <laughs> and I went on YouTube, and there's a version of it on YouTube, which is fun. So it's that song over the Vengeance 2003 poster, which is The Undertaker Pike Punching. And I just okay. want to read to you a comment that I saw near the top, because I love this stuff. Like like genuine YouTube comments from random people. I'm going to read this. Uh, I'm going to try to match the punctuation of this. This guy said, I miss Ruthless Aggression. I miss how badass WWE was and how tough society was in the 2000s. Miss that grit and pull. Miss that feel to just rocking a biker sleeveless vest with a baton and chain. Miss these days so much. I remember this pay-per-view like yesterday. There you go. You too. <laughs> wow. That, that guy, that guy's not satisfied with his life currently. <laughs> No, you know what? Back in the day, people had grit. They wore sleeveless things and vests, and they were bikers, and they had batons. I'm sure the baton is in that mind there, but gosh, <laughs> my next podcast will just be reading YouTube comments because I just think they're they're just they're incredible, really special oh, things. Brilliant. We we brilliant. we vilify the comment section for so long on things, uh, and now YouTube comments are just like boomers being like, that's why they call them the boss under Bruce Springsteen videos, and it's the best. It's just my favorite thing. Um. And so, okay, I'm going to run down. So here's the actual matches. I'm going to read them all to you, and then I want you to tell me what you think of this card. Uh, Billy Gunn versus Jamie Noble. Uh, winner gets to sleep with Tori Wilson. Uh, <laughs> there's no money tell. exchange here. Interesting, too. too. I think Tori Wilson could have said, yeah, then you can pay, pay me. Uh, but no, it's just, it's just they just get the money. Uh, Steffi versus Sable. There's the APA barroom brawl. Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit for the U.S. title, which is new. Vince McMahon versus Zach Gowan. The world's greatest tag team versus Billy Kim and Rey Mysterio for the WWE tag team titles. Undertaker versus John Cena, and then Kurt Angle versus Big Show versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE title. So how's that sound to you? Does it sound good or kind of like, eh, I don't know? You know you know what? Like, it's like for, <laughs> because I am a Ruthless Aggression era fan uh, late, later on, 
uh, SmackDown yeah. pay-per-views sucked. Like, they were just, you, you did not, not really. need to watch them ever. So, like, comparatively, this sounds pretty darn good. Like, this is, like, a good outing for a SmackDown pay-per-view. They're really, like, they're definitely think... kind of putting it all out there for this. Um, yeah. The, the, you know, it's a classic pay-per-view card where, like, the first half sounds questionable and the back half sounds really good. Like, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually true too. I'm here for it. Like, I like I'm excited to see. I mean, I think, yeah, world's greatest tag team. It's just like that's awkward because they're like not that established yet. Like they've only been like it's it's funny how established they seem for how short of a time they've been around. Right, and it's even funny. Like even calling themselves world's greatest tag team, it's obviously supposed to be like a hyperbole. But um, when they were Team Angle, they barely won matches and they were actually really often bad and like lost non-title matches all the time too so like it's not even just hyperbole it's like no like actually even if you say like how we're the world's greatest tag team it's like not even in like like the way your heels you suck it's like you're actually mostly pretty bad even though you're clearly very talented people they just booked you so weakly for the last like six months so that's too bad so maybe i mean i i presume they're gonna get commanding win over ray mysterio and billy kidman or something like that and continue to establish themselves as uh, serious threats on the show so we'll see we will see. And this is going to come to our main event. Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle and Zach Gowner going up against Big Show and the world's greatest tag team. And uh, uh, Brock comes out. He gets this nice reaction. I thought, I thought it was pretty good. Even when he gets tagged in the first time, people were really digging Brock, which I thought was pretty sweet. I was like, yeah, yeah well, this guy's a draw. Stephanie we announced the match. She did strategically and mentioned Brock last and got the biggest pop out of the thing. Like, they, they know that they have a star on their hands for sure, right? I love um and you know in a year he's not there which is crazy to think about uh but we're still yeah it's still just crazy time here and uh, so Kurt starts off for the match he holds his own against both members of the world's greatest tag team before he tags in Brock and uh he tosses the world's greatest tag team around and he tags in Zach Gowan which feels like a mistake and then uh Brock throws Zach Gowan onto the world's greatest tag team and uh Brock also drops uh Haas for Zach Gowan and then Zach Gowan leg drops him and Cole was instantly like, oh, my gosh, this kid's totally amazing. And it's like, it's OK. It's not that impressive. Like, I, every time he does something, I'm really worried for him because he's, I think he's going to die. <laughs> just his skinny frame will shatter. Yeah. And then I'm kind of proved right because, like, Shelton Benjamin clotheslines Zach. And Zach takes a great bump, but he, like, almost lands, like, fully on his neck. Um, but he gets, like, destroyed with the clothesline. Uh, and then Big Show tags in. And then he, that leads to Zach almost getting murdered. And Big Show goes to choke slam Zach Cowan, but Brock chop blocks him, so he doesn't get that. And then Zach Cowan's on the apron, and Big Show uh, gets to uh, Zach Cowan. He puts his hand on his face and he pushes him off the apron onto the floor. And Zach Cowan takes a pretty nasty bump there too. Like Zach Cowan's just getting killed here. And I guess yeah, the, sure. the credit to him here is that like you're getting destroyed uh, in a really impressive way on this show, even though you but, probably it just doesn't seem like you make sense of this match at all. Bump of the night goes to Brock Lesnar though, I think. Oh, you think so? Yeah, it goes flying off the apron into the barricade. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one, too. I mean, he's just got such great hops, too. Like, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and so Brock and Kurt, they clothesline uh, Big Show out of the ring. Uh, but on the other side of the ring, where he was thrown down, Zach Allen is there, and Vince McMahon comes out with a chair. And Vince hits Zach Allen in the leg with the chair. And Michael Cole says all sorts of dramatic things about it. Um, like, oh, my gosh, this is so unfair. Uh, and we take a commercial break, and what do you know? It's now a three-on-two handicap match, uh, even though it kind of already was a three-on-two handicap match. Is that Gowan's gone? Uh, and also, I'm just gonna point out this makes three paper, three SmackDowns in a row. 
when the main event is more or less a handicap match. It was Brock against these guys, and then Kurt against these guys, and now it's Brock and Kurt against these guys. So we have pretty much the they're, same they're, three in they're, a row. They're wearing it thin. They got yeah. <laughs> they got a now few more key stars, and they're just kind of rotating them around. Yeah, I kind of, this match as it is, like if they didn't have the last two weeks of this, it's still kind of a perfect like TV main event match. Like pretty good guys, they're tangling, tangling up. It's enjoyable. It's they're furthering the feud. It's just nice. And Kurt Angle takes on the uh, good guy in peril mode. Crowd's chanting for him. He's getting beat. Uh, like Big Show, he's suplexing him. He hits a, a half Boston Crab on him. Um, Kurt almost gets somewhere, but then Shell Measurement comes in and hits a super kick on him instead. And uh, Kurt finally gets a hot tag to Brock. The crowd goes nuts because they love Brock, and it's a perfect time to get the hot tag. And Brock knocks down Big Show, and he tosses the world's greatest tag team. And what he's literally doing, he's doing these belly-to-belly suplexes, but Brock is staying fully upright as he's throwing them. So he throws them over his shoulders, and he's still standing up. Oh, yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. It's an incredible move here. And uh, Big Show sneaks up, and he kicks Brock down. And it goes for a choke slam, but Brock leaps around, and then he uh, he suplexes Big Show uh, pretty easily here. Uh, just a regular kind of suplex, not a German one, but it's just like, boop, he just does it. And the crowd's like, whoa, that's impressive. There it is. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. And then Brock tags in Kurt, and he gets rid of the World's Greatest Tag Team. Uh, and then Kurt gets an ankle lock on Big Show. And so Brock, uh, he, he sees that... Uh, Kurt is Kurt's ankle lock on Big Show is about to be broken up by Charlie Haas. And so Brock, he he leaps over them and he grabs Charlie Haas and he gets him up for an F5. But Brock, when he spins Charlie Haas for the F5, he spins him into Kurt Angle. And so Kurt Angle gets taken out, Charlie Haas gets taken out, and the ankle lock is broken up. And uh, Brock then gets taken out of the ring, which leaves Big Show in there with Kurt Angle. And he chokeslams Kurt Angle and he pins him one, two, three. And Michael Cole earns my ire, even though he's great with Pat McAfee now. He earns my ire here because he immediately declares the Big Show and the World's Greatest Tag Team have momentum going into Sunday. And it's like, Big Show doesn't have momentum if he keeps winning matches that are unfair. <laughs> it's not impressive. It's not like he's like, oh, man, he's really getting – it's really a coup. It's like, no, he keeps being in these super unfair situations and succeeding. And it's like, ugh. We'll talk well, more about Big Show here. he's saying yeah. this, Brock Lesnar is piling up the World's Greatest Tag Team – in, in a pile in the corner by the ring steps. It rules. Cause, yeah, because Charlie Haas is like laying next to the ring steps, and we see him throw Shelton Benjamin into the ring steps, and he lands on Charlie Haas. He truly is making a pile of a tag team outside the ring. And uh, he comes back into the ring, and uh, he he grabs a chair, and he smacks Big Joe with it, and then he F5s Charlie Haas, who's back in the ring. And then Kurt Angle gets up, and he tries to grab the chair from Brock Lesnar, but Brock won't give it to him. And so it leads to them arguing, and it's kind of this is where you know after weeks and weeks and weeks of seeing Brock and Kurt getting along, it starts to get kind of interesting here, which is fun, uh, because Kurt slaps Brock Lesnar, and so Brock goes fine. He tries to f5 Kurt, but Kurt gets out of it, and Kurt tries to angle slam Brock, but he gets out of that. And then, to my great distress, Big Show comes in. He double choke slams both guys, and it allows Michael Cole to yell about how Big Show is probably going to win at Vengeance, and once again. For like the eighth time in as many weeks. This is something they love to do. The show goes off the air with Big Show looking intense. That's what he, that's how the, every show, every SmackDown ends with you looking at Big Show being like, ah. It's just it, like, man, it, like, why do they have that to, scream? What? He lifts his hand up and he goes, Whoa! yes, um, exactly. And they love the, they love this King Kong moment here, this Godzilla <clears> moment of like, oh man. It really lets the air out of the room when they do this, because I don't it think does, anybody absolutely. likes Big Show for Big Show's sake. 
No. Like, I don't think anybody's favorite wrestler is the big show. No, they're just excited to see him get thrown around by Brock Lesnar. That's why they cheer that like that's why they like to see that's when Brock Lesnar comes in and Big Show's there, they cheer. They're not cheering Big Show. They don't like him. They want to see him get thrown around. That's it. <clears throat> there was one really interesting moment at the beginning of this match when Brock Lesnar yeah. gets tagged in the first time and he's up against Charlie Haas. And you think he's just gonna steamroll him, but Charlie Haas like kind of kind of stops him and does these headbutts. And it really felt like oh, yeah. that like was wasn't like they both had a different idea of what they were going to do there. And then oh, yeah. Brock Lesnar like goes with it, but then like immediately gets the suplex on and does the over the head thing. And then there's another part where Charlie Haas kind of bumps Brock off the ring apron and he goes flying. And I'm like, they're make they like, or, or Charlie, either Charlie Haas is forcing himself to look really dominant in this match or they're yeah. letting him feel dominant or Brock Lesnar is like, Hey buddy, I'll help you look dominant. But it's just like he never looked like this before. Right. But like he looks very strong in this match. Yeah. It's just a strange st- choice, but makes sense if they're trying to do the world's greatest tag team thing and like trying to establish them as. But just like Haas going toe to toe with Brock Lesnar and like not being bowled over after the hot tag was weird to me. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting those moments where they're just kind of like, are they trying to seem more human or what's the move here? What, what it's hard to be sure, but um. And it just, uh, yeah, I hate that big show so big and prominent, even like the worst part of the show. Uh, but Daniel, real quick, your final thoughts on the show. Uh, we use the SmackDown uh, video games of this era to rate the show. Uh, good being just bring it, eh being shut your mouth, and bad being here comes the pain. So Daniel, your thoughts on the show? Yeah, so I'm I'm giving a shut your mouth to this show. Uh, it's it's not. It's not bad, but it's not great either. It, it's hard for me to say because, like, I I enjoyed I enjoyed almost every individual segment, but but nothing came together as a whole for me. Like nothing kind of sang where I was like, oh yeah, that was a good show. It just felt like it felt like a lot of filler uh, leading up to the pay per view. It felt like they kind of had. It's almost as if they had led up to the pay per view. A couple weeks ago and they just had a couple right. more shows to fill <laughs> like right we kind like, of got eight weeks, weeks of shows but not ten already. yeah 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 so yeah I, get so, that. I don't know it just didn't it didn't come together as a holding click for me in a big way not nothing terrible uh enough good stuff here to be like oh that was enjoyable but like not yeah yeah it, it's on the cusp. Uh, it's almost it's almost just bring it but not but not yeah I, I think I'm, I'm just I think I'm just kind of more of the ingredients worked for me. So uh, even with the dumb big show stuff, it was still fairly entertaining. And I think Vengeance is looking good. They're building up pretty well for that, even if it's been an extended period of time. So for me, it's a just bring it. And uh, so, folks, that's going to bring us to the end of the podcast. Next week's show, we're covering Vengeance 2003. So you got to jump on and, and check out the first SmackDown only pay-per-view offering to see what we think about that. We're looking forward to talking to you about that there. You can follow us on social media. In the meantime, SmackDown 6 on uh SmackDown 6 Pod, I think, at least on Twitter and on Instagram. You can share this show with a friend as well. And I share this show with my friend Daniel. Daniel, thank you for being here, buddy. Thank you for having me, Matt. Love being here. And to all the smack addicts, we love you. We love you guys. And rest assured, we will never end a show with Big Show standing tall at the end of it. We'll just talk about it.